Welcome to the Heroes of Reality podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Welcome, young adventurers. On today's show, we have Carrie Shaw. She is a medical illustrator, public health educator, CEO, and founder of Embodied Labs, an immersive caregiving training platform. Her vision is to see healthier and connected lives through shared immersive experiences. And her mission is to connect humans more deeply and more quickly through each other through sharing their lives and experience. And without any delay, I'd like to welcome Carrie. Hey. Hi, Ellen. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hey, I'm excited to talk to you. I'm excited. I, you know, I love when we have this immersive technology you know, meets, you know, caregiving, training, transformation, helping people get better. Because a lot of people look at XR experiences as just fun and games and all that. But it's so much more meaningful when you're actually able to use it to actually help people. Um, I'd love to get a little understanding of how you got started with Embodied Labs and a little bit of that journey. Sure. Um, well, you know, something someone said to me once that stuck around is, they learned what Embodied Labs does, and they said, you know what, Carrie, I think you have the least sexiest VR company I have ever heard of. And I, <laughs> uh, this was an investor, I think, during a, a roadshow of pitches in Silicon Valley and took it as a compliment, still do today. Um, but Embodied Labs, we yeah. are an immersive company that leverages the power of seeing through the first person perspectives of others. And we do that uh, today by embodying perspectives of older adults and uh, caregivers. Um, so we're really focused on how to embody what it looks, feels, experiences, becomes to grow older. Um, and not just from like a, what disease state might you embody, but what life experience or um, culture or um, situation might you encounter. And this embodiment kind of gives us the ability to hijack our futures and live out the ends of the, the movie, so to speak, before we do it in real life or we do it on the job or um, in caregiving for a loved one. Um, mm. So the this company was really um you know i wouldn't have guessed that that this would be where i am today as ceo and founder of a immersive startup um going on six years old this year uh, but we evolved from my own personal care journey where i became a family caregiver uh, as the daughter of a mom in her 40s with early onset alzheimer's disease oh, yeah. um, so my mom got diagnosed with early onset um, officially my freshman year of college and at 49. Um, and then she passed away at 61. Um, and a big part of my twenties, uh, like mid twenties, I spent living at home with my mom and my dad and was a primary care for caregiver for her. Um, and that was this time where like, you know, whether it was being a primary caregiver for her, whether it was being in college and like, being afar and trying to understand her journey and experience, it was just so hard for me to um, wrap my mind around like what her experience was with her brain changing. And um, I just wished I could like jump into her body sometimes and like see what she was seeing uh, because it's just such a complex 
disease. And I always felt like the disconnect kept me from really knowing how to be the most like effective, you know, care partner or daughter, or um, even kind of like push through my own stages of grief of like denial and anger, um, like mm-hmm. almost like at her, even though I knew logically she had this diagnosis. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's super intense um, uh, to have your parent go through something where they start to lose themselves. Um, I know this because my mom has some like early onset Alzheimer's too. Um, so that like the thing of like losing memories and losing the connections and that things is a very emotional, like it's really sad because like you realize how how important memories are for the person, mm-hmm. right? To actually be who you are. And if you, you know, you might have the spirit of the person, but you kind of lose a piece of them as that, at least it's been my experience, I can only speak to. Um, so did you, did, did you ever get a chance to put your mom inside a VR or do you ever get a chance to utilize it specifically for your, for your own self or? Um, I didn't get a chance to put my mom in VR. Um, I, and I, I, I use VR sometimes today, but I didn't actually know anything about VR until um, I went back to grad school kind of after I was home for, with my mom for a while. Um, She was still alive and um, I was away at grad school for medical, biomedical visualization. It was a master's of science. Sounds like a mouthful. It's just the people that draw in textbooks, it's a whole field that's advanced a lot with technology. So like, how do you use visuals to understand health? And um, my research, I got to pick like a thesis topic. And since I was just thinking a lot about my mom and um, this question of like, what if we could just step into other people's shoes in a medically accurate way, uh, that became my research. And then I met my now co-founder who like, he, he looked at a lot of the prototyping I was doing. And all I had was this like pair of goggles that I would show and still do today with like the left sides taped off. And I would mm-hmm. use them all the time in my mom's caregiver training to explain like she had this left visual field deficit. Um, and so when I met my co-founder, well now co-founder in yeah. this class, he was like, you know, have you heard of VR? And like, have you considered some of these first person kind of games that I was trying to develop? Um, maybe you should put some of those into like a VR environment and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had another friend who is really into 360 live action film. Um, so he became a, a third part of the team and like our first prototype um, put together all of those pieces of like, what if you can embody a live action film and have it in a game engine and we use leap motion hand tracking and um, gesture and some voice and like a lot of natural interface to give yourself the embodiment and presence and immersion that really like tricks your brain in a in a way that um, goes along with some of the science of like Jeremy Balenson and others of like how you actually change your mind through immersion. Mm, that's awesome. I mean, yeah. And that's one of the great use cases for VR is that sense of empathy, you know, putting yourself in the shoes of another, right. It's one of the greatest empathy engines of all time. Can you, can you talk to me about um, some of the, 
um, experiences or use cases or any any stories that you have of of using VR for empathy and putting people in their shoes? Yeah, definitely. And I I initially, you know, when Chris Milk, whatever, 2016-ish, uh, when he, I think that was when he got quoted all around the everywhere in the community yeah. um, of like, you know, calling this the empathy engine. I initially liked that. And then over the years, I found that um, I'm, I, I think that the empathy is, is important um mm -hmm. but there's this key to empathy where it has to become actionable to really matter so um like there's there's uh you know empathy versus sympathy is like uh the difference between feeling sorry for and being on the outside of listening to someone's experience and then embodying someone puts you in the shoes of another but like you can't really be in the shoes of someone else. You can kind of get there through VR. You can kind of use embodiment to change your mind. But like um, empathy has to come with like change and it has to create something measurable. So um, I think what what's been so fun to see over the years from the customers that subscribe to Embodied Labs um, starting with like, for example, a skilled nursing facility uh, in Rochester, New York, where all of their CNAs and frontline staff go through embodied labs, um, things like going through the Beatrice journey where you're in early and middle stages and late stages of Alzheimer's as Beatrice um, with your family around you and in a grocery store and later um, in your living room and doing things like using like your shower or cooking, um, you get this sense of what it's like to have people talking about you, but not to you while you're in the room. Um, what it's like to have the difference between like uh, what's called sundowning that people go through with later stages of Alzheimer's where like sounds and shadows and um, the time around dusk can evoke a lot of um, fear and sometimes like hallucinations um, and what that contrast is to having the lights on and like music playing that you like and um, your daughter talking to you in like a calm way. Um, so they, they're, these CNAs go through this training to essentially embody like who they give care to. Mm -hmm. And then um, I've heard from like the training leads that they see that things will change on the floor where um, just organically CNAs might think about the tone of voice they're using when they're talking to someone or like the volume uh, of their voice, or um, maybe we'll just have that like extra patience to think about like what someone, what, what they could do to meet someone where they're at. Um, and then how does that like really translate into like better care and, and change for, um, the older adults that are living there. That's awesome. And just for context, uh, CNAs, is that something nurse? Is that what is? Yeah, what's it? yeah certified <laughs> nursing assistant. Okay, <laughs> thank you. You're, you're saying the term and I was like, okay, I'm gonna call that out just so I know and the people listening can know. Okay, so then you were able to bring uh, these certified nursing assistants through this experience. And then and through that, they, they, they changed their behavior to a degree. Um, at this Rochester location that then allowed them to actually 
um, increase the um, the care, um, the compassion, um, and what and how they handled certain um, patient sensitive populations with their encounters, right? So they, they understood that. I didn't know things at nighttime. Apparently, so when things get dusk, it's it more scary for them. Is that what's one of the the big concerns? Um, and so so for you, you you it's not only just having it's not only having empathy, but then it's going to change their behavior because now they know what it's like. So if I, if I'm uh, using my normal voice and this might be a bit too intense, I'm going to drop it like down to like a more of a calming tone or whatever that might be. So is that kind of like, so is that kind of the, the results, the actions that you're, you're seeking to change or what, how would you know personally that you, that like what you're doing is effective? Like, how do you know that, that, that the actions are taking place? Yeah, there's been a few ways that we've been able to measure that over the mm -hmm. years. Um, actually, right now, uh, we've just this month are kicking off uh, an evidence-based pilot with the National uh, Veterans Affairs Medical Center um, at four of their flagship medical center locations. Um, and this this is a way to measure how our um, dementia focused immersive training and our LGBT plus aging and training impacts their staff. Um, and the ways that metrics have been measured for us in the past is to look at pre and post um, experience. What are some of the quantitative things that people uh, that have been through the training return in a survey? What are some of the qualitative things they say? And then um, following up some four or six weeks after, like what else comes up that people are still um, bringing back into their care practice uh, and retaining? Um, and actually sometimes a year later, a couple years later, there's still, um, there's been some follow-up where uh, employees or in the case of like the 50 or so academic institutions that use embodied labs, they'll do studies that say, you know, this is even being retained beyond um, weeks and people vividly remember what they went through um, years later. Um, and so quantitative examples could be something like how confident do you feel uh, doing your job now that you've been through this training um, mm -hmm. or um, how how does did this tra training influence like the satisfaction you have in giving care and service? Um, so thinking more about like how does this um, align with burnout and employees thinking through seeing like themselves essentially reflected as like heroes in their own mm. story. Um, and then more qualitatively things like you just mentioned, like, Oh, I, I just, I realized I could drop my voice or, um, I didn't like how it felt to, to be talked down to in a, in like a tone, like I was a little kid. So I've been more aware of that. Um, or now I might, I didn't realize that hearing like words might get mixed up. So I'm more aware of like the way that I'm speaking to someone. Mm. I really like the, the concept of, of, you know, there burnout. And I do know I have some nursing friends and burnout is alive and well. There is that like they work late nights, they work these hours. It's super intense. Then you have the emotional drain on top of it. Um, and so I've heard them talking about stories of that, like, like them needing burnout. And then it causes like a cycle. Right. We're like one nurse quits and then it, all the weight falls on the other ones and they're like, oh, no. And then someone else quits because they, and then just the workload gets heavier as it kind of. So I love the idea of helping them feel like they're the heroes of the story. So it's not like that. It's not like the workload gets lighter. 
you're just adding more meaning to it. And then they can feel like, okay, I'm, I'm doing, I got purpose, you know, and you can yeah. kind of see that effect. Yeah. One of the things that we're going to be doing uh, mm -hmm. later this year is of what we call a learning journey specifically for nurses and for other healthcare workers um, to look at how to be an anecdote to burnout. Um, and so we've developed these, what we call them learning journeys, where you actually have a, a expert, like in this case, a nurse educator uh, who facilitates a session, like a, a once a week for six weeks Zoom session. And these embodied experiences can be done on web immersive on the browser. So you don't need a VR headset um, or, or in VR fully. Um, but when you're going through these immersive experiences, um, some of them for this particular group could be things like um, working through the de-escalation um, scenarios where you have family members that are upset and you're working back through like, what do I do in the case that I'm burnt out? Something really challenging is happening with an older adult. Maybe it's in the bathroom, in the shower situation, maybe otherwise, like how do I deal with a family member who's probably coming from a positive place but could be frustrated? I'm also struggling with my own bandwidth and then um, debrief that in like a safe course in this learning journey with other nurses um, as a way to reflect, to problem solve, to like get some place and space for even like a healthy kind of rant and reflect and and then like take that and make it actionable again. Uh, rant and reflect? That's like, is that the new type of R&R? &R? Is that is yeah, <laughs> I think so. That's like, that's what we all, I think all of us could do some R&R &R like that. It's just like just let it get it out. He's like, oh, I feel better. I got yeah. it out. I'm I'm good. So you're helping them with like these like struggling moments, these times that like they're like, I don't know how to handle this. Oh my god, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so annoyed. I'm so frustrated. Blah. And you get it out, and yeah. they're like, oh, and they feel better. I yeah. mean, these these are like people. You know, now that we're a couple years into the pandemic, um, a lot of the in some cases, in a lot of cases, family members can visit senior care communities again. Um, but for like a, more than a year, in most places, it was just the nurses, the uh, frontline staff there to be with people living with um, memory changes and um, places where like fr friends, family, visitors were taking a lot of the shared workload of like being that social engagement. Um, staff have been that. And so it's, uh, there's like an all time high, I think of, of burnout because um, learning how to be present and meeting someone with dementia where they're at is a skill and an art. It takes a lot of learning and effort and, and it's still hard even once you're there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I understand uh, that. I mean, so you're really enabling them to have compassion and resilience and really helping them to be able to understand and communicate in a way because they're right. There was a lot of this when, especially with the whole pandemic and all that stuff going on, that you had no way you were alone. These, these nursing professionals, and everyone, they had no support. They couldn't, you couldn't like much like a, a child or a baby, you pass them around the village to kind of get some space and, you know, Hey, you know, we'll all take turns watching the child. The same thing with the you know, other, you know, um, seniors in need. It's the same type of issues that they have this 
you know, you don't have any support. And so burnout happens and they drop off and you got to find a way to um, support them. In terms of that and what you've been integrating it, how have you seen the, the, the benefits of using like immersive systems versus using Zoom systems? Like what have you seen is like the big, because a lot of times I hear this is like, well, what's the benefit of VR? Why do it in there? What's about using this technology? So can you talk to me a little bit about some of the benefits of having an immersive platform for this type of education? Definitely, yeah. I think the first the first part of, I guess the first piece of that is, comes back to embodied cognition in immersive environments and the science we know from like decades of how we've trained uh, pilots and like military training and like immersive itself is is not new, but 2016 was like a turning point to have commercially available headsets. And we know from um, cognitive science research that it, when you're in a fully immersive environment, if you have um, what's called bodily resonance. So like I extend my hand out and I see it in the in the environment and then I um, see myself as another, like maybe in a mirror, um, that establishes that I am embodied in another in another role, another maybe gender, race, uh, maybe as a soldier practicing for military. Um, and so that bodily resonance combined with having an environment that tells your brain like you're actually there, it's real, it's responsive to you. Um, that creates your your brain's ability to make a memory and mm -hmm. to learn, and and that's where you find in research um, that is has been published um, increasingly too with co commercial like platforms like um, I'm thinking about Tailspin and Striver and data that's come through partners like PwC where you you know that you learn four times faster compared to like e-learning or traditional methods and you can retain information up to like 90% longer. Um, and then one of the really interesting benefits of full, fully immersive experiences is that you access emotional memory. And like, that's just, it's something that no other traditional tool can do in the same way. Um, so it's, it's a way to bring very human centric learning and so, socio-emotional learning um, into a, a technology technology driven and like still repeatable, scalable uh, uh, platform. Mm. Um, and so I think that that's kind of the nerdy side. My team gets really nervous when I talk about. I was going to like not found a company and just study that as a PhD student. So I, I love that. But what? Why do they get nervous? What? What about you getting nerdy makes them nervous? I don't. I don't uh, understand. It can, go, it can go like a lot long. Like. Like all these <laughs> there, you know, just like don't go too too much deeper into like the brain science, but um, I, it's so cool. <laughs> it's fascinating, man. The, the, the understanding the the way that we operate as humans, right? I mean, you're 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 hacking the game of life in the sense of like you know being able to get people to make you know making memories. I think it's the first I heard of bodily resonance and making memories in VR. I think that's a really cool concept because then you remember you remember the situation, but it just so happens to be in VR. You just go, oh, okay. And then, especially if you can attach any of the emotion to it, you know, and that's mm -hmm. what I like about that, putting people inside of them, they can feel those, they get those, the, the, I don't want to say sympathy, I'm trying to avoid that word, but the, the, the empathy that you have for the people. And, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, what is, is, is there, um, let me ask you a question, as you, 
yes, you've rolled these things out, right? And you've been doing this for, you said, six years? Mm-hmm. How have you had to learn and grow as, as a leader, um, as a CEO? Because they're saying, oh, don't get all nerdy. We want you to do something else, right? What have you, how have you had to adapt and learn and grow as a leader um, as you evolved your company? Whew, it's been, it's been so wild and it still is and still, probably still will be. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I'm a first time founder, so I hadn't done any kind of entrepreneurial venture before Embodied Labs. Um, and I also didn't have uh, a background in um, raising capital or finance or like the venture space. So um, coming into uh, coming into all of this it was just like, uh, if anything has had hockey stick growth, uh, it would not be our revenue yet. Uh, so I have a graph that shows that it will, yeah. like all good founders should. Uh, but my my learning curve has had one, and um, it's just been all about like learning how to first like get business basics down. Like we didn't have a product. Uh, we just had an idea when we incorporated, we had an 80 gigabyte hard drive and there was actually not a commercially available, um, none of the VR laptops had come out yet. So we would just cart this tub around with like the pre-release Vive and an 80 gigabyte hard drive with an executable with our MVP experience on it. Um, so luckily we had already incorporated cause I, we might've like run for the hills um, and then we went and signed up for a, a business accelerator called Creative Startups. Um, mm-hmm. It's the same one that Meow Wolf went through a couple years earlier, actually. Um, and I remember feeling comforted that a company that had the DK1 on the flyer of the accelerator, I was like, well, if they if they are using the DK1 and they already did this two years ago, like surely this accelerator will be a good place for us to go learn business basics. Um, and we wound up winning that accelerator. Um, I wound up just having to practice like pitch. I'm terrified of speaking in front of people. So I had to learn how to like pitch and get, and, um, and I pitched a lot because mm-hmm. I thought that it would be like a six month tail. To, I was like, Oh, we'll just, you know, we'll get, we'll get started. We'll get some funding and it'll be fine. And um, that didn't happen for like <laughs> almost three years, you know, till 20. We, we closed officially our seed round of financing in January of 2020 of all time. Mm-hmm. And it took yeah, about yeah. 24 months to like get there, um, maybe 18 if I want to like Whoops. sound better. <laughs> well, like that's that's great. Um, and uh and for, I mean, it's good that you went to accelerate, you got a part of the community, you got into the system, you learn kind of the do's and the don'ts, right? You know, what advice would you give to people that are going to try to, you know, that you got to figure out how to get comfortable. You got to get comfortable speaking. You got to show that hockey stick, you know, mm-hmm. and it takes time. It takes way, anybody looks like, oh, it must be, you know, people that, um, you know, I mean, cause there's probably some college kids out there that want to get into the space that want to do anything. They want to raise capital. You know, what advice, would you give to a younger version of yourself that's looking to, you know, raise capital, do all the things that you had to figure out, you know, what would be some advice to help, you know, shorten that maybe from the 24 to 18 months, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be to, um, 
I, I'm gonna I'm gonna quote someone uh, that that still remains burned on my brain from a pitch I gave, but he's he um at, so yeah you know you're always having to pitch and share your total addressable market and um, as a founder I've realized that your total addressable market is always um, either too big. Uh, or too small. It is you never you never have it just right. Um, but in this case, I had shared one that this judge had felt was wait you know small, and he he like shook his finger at me, and he was like, you know what you gotta do, Carrie. I was like, what? He's like, you gotta think bigger. <laughs> and um, you know, just giving the ninety eight percent of capital deployed goes to um, white male founders and the 2% is white female founders and the 0.3% is everybody else. Um, it, you know, the, the, the thinking bigger point, um, I took with, a uh, I took to heart and he wasn't wrong. Cause what you really do need to do is think very big. And then you need to try to shortcut all of the stuff in the middle that you think you need to do to get to that biggest thing. Um, and, and like push for the one or two biggest things you can be doing that you are sure are impossible and could never actually happen. Um, so that when you do do whatever you do, you fall on your face somewhere across the line well across the line of progress that that keeps you in the running um and because you're gonna you're gonna be at risk to drop out of the race at like all sorts of points uh because you really have to make exponential progress not necessarily probably won't be your hockey stick growth curve for you know like you'll be projecting one that you never make for mm -hmm. a while um until you do i don't know maybe that's just me but um you gotta think bigger I love it. Great. I mean, that's a great, I want to just kind of recap that and make sure I heard it correctly. Cause I, I think this is actually a really good note. Uh, you said basically you got to think bigger, then you got to go for the biggest thing that you can. And then, and then it's okay. Cause even if you fall on your face, you're going to get close to that big thing. And so just by expanding what's possible in your brain and you're like, okay, we're going to shoot for the moon and we're going to start building that rocket today. Right. And you're going to shoot that thing up and you're like, OK, we got 100 feet in the air with that rocket ship. Right. And that's the kind of the goal is make that big, get really clear on that big vision and then just go for it. And even if you fail, because you will fail at that initial push, it'll at least get you closer to that big goal that shows it's possible. Is that kind of what you said? Yeah, that's a great recap. And yeah. maybe one other thought I'd yeah. add on, you know, I, I was thinking about this yesterday um it, it's like we say we hear all the time like this trope of like you gotta fail you're like you're supposed to fail it's great to fail fail fast and then at the same time and in the same breath the same people will say you need a players and you gotta be a 10xer and like you know and so you're like am i supposed to fail or am i supposed to be an a player like you're supposed to be an f player and so i think um you i mean really maybe looking for ways to fail is the right way to actually fail. I'm not sure yet, but um, it's something that's bothered me 
as a concept for a while because we're like always talking in the this space of like how great failure is yet like what we really talk about is like how to be successful all the time so that that's confusing um not sure that's that's a tricky one. I, I have a question about that because they you look at this conundrum. They're like, you need to go out there and fail. You need to make a fool at yourself. You need to put yourself out there. You need to get rejected. At the same time, I need you to show me that you're making progress and results, and you're getting those deals and you're bringing in the revenue. I want both mm-hmm. those situations, and that is super confusing because if you take the risks and you, t- and you go all in on an idea, right, you could fail. Right. You, you know, you, you feel like uh, all of the characters should be green hamsters and you put all these green hamsters inside there. And it's a terrible idea because who puts green hamsters inside these experiences and you burn your whole budget on that. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, I failed. I job done. But there's like that subtext of like the judgment of, oh, yeah, but you didn't, you know, but you really were supposed to be super successful the way that, you know. So can, mm-hmm. you, can you talk to me about. I do want to get to a specific on this. Do you have any times you can talk to me about a big failure that you had and like maybe a powerful learning lesson that you got from that? You know, it doesn't have to always be about the monetary win. Maybe there was a, a powerful lesson you got from failure. Mm-hmm. You are on the business, business sense, like personal. Like, let's, let's go, let's go business sense. Any, I mean, it could be with pitching. It could be with trying to do something that a investor requested from you. Um, was there, is there something where you took a risk yeah. And you've, and you've, and you had a big failure and you're like, wow, okay, let's not do that again. Or you know what? I'm going to double down on what I did and I'm going to go even harder because I just realized I didn't have enough rocket fuel to get me to that moon. Yeah. Um, so I, I spent, uh, let's see, I'm going to pick my top one. Um, <laughs> as entrepreneurs, when, we got tons of failures. There are bounty yeah. of them. I'm just, yeah. Um, pick, pick the thing that you wake up in the middle of the night and go, <laughs> yeah, like, I, so I almost didn't, um, I, I have, I have it. Like, I guess I've been calling my blockbuster Netflix moment at the end of 2020 at the end of 2020. So we had been through that like exhausting pandemic year. Mm-hmm. And I remember I closed my seed financing January of 2020 and we were, our premise was like, we're, we've got all this traction to scale up location-based kiosks, learning, you know, and we were going on, we were getting on-site hardware, software bundle, we were shipping, you know, everybody's offices, we Best Buy, we had senior care, we had a little government, not much yet, academia, we were like, we're going to ramp, we're going to all be, every single, everywhere will be equipped with immersive learning and um you know this is how embodied labs will become ubiquitous as a staple for uh healthcare and and training um so yeah the pandemic hits like a few weeks later and you're i was like oh no like i wouldn't wear a headset like wiped down or not but if like someone made like paid me to um and so we saw our customers do this thing that surprised me, which was they started streaming on Zoom through they would someone would wear the headset. So you would see me as the trainer in it. Mm-hmm. And I would be doing stuff like my hands and hear it, you hear and see what I'm doing on your screen. And they're creating these like streamed immersive experiences, which like given what Twitch is and what streaming is, it's not that wild, but in the context of 
our customer base where Wi-Fi is considered innovative. I thought I was like, really? We're, we're streaming immersive training. <laughs> um, and so then the, throughout the year, like we were trying to figure out how to retain customers. And everyone was like, this will go away. Like, we're like, yeah, I was like kiosk VR. I, like I was so set on what comes out of a fully immersive embodied experience and the magic of that and all my nerdy, deep feelings that I was talking about earlier is like, this is the only way that immersive can be valuable. And my team, on the other hand, who deals with customer support tickets, shipping the hardware, onboarding the customers, hearing how many times, it, you know, things on out of our control on all the platforms were updated to like, basically take all the hardware we're reselling and make it useless for our customers software application. They were like, Carrie, this sucks. Like this hardware doesn't scale. And then by the end of the year, they were like, we've got to get this on web immersive. And like, I was just like, no, no, it's, it's going to be lame. It's going to be just like a video and like, who cares? And like, it doesn't matter if it's not all in this headset. Like it defeats the whole purpose. Um, but like by, I just vividly remember it was like the last meeting of our year in 2020. And the team is like, we all are behind this. And then I was like, okay, we will do it. But I like didn't want to do it. And then in 2021, we very quickly launched like an alpha beta and then are now like fully active on web immersive. And like, that is also a way that you can get really powerful immersion. It's different, but it's immersive and it is not just like a video and it's not lame. And it's opened up this ability for us to see exponential usage of how people can use this training, how they can use it in groups together, uh, no matter whether they're on site training or remote. And it's opened up a continuum for us to think more about immersive beyond the hardware. And um, like, I, I've never been more excited about the opportunity ahead. Um, but like, I guess I didn't quite fail because I listened to my team, but like, I thought they were wrong and I was right and I was mad about it. <laughs> okay, so let me, I want to unpack this a little bit. And I actually think this is a really powerful lesson for anybody that is, you know, in, you're a CEO of a company or you're doing anything, right? Because you have a certain way, you have a, a hard foundation. Like, this is the way it has to be done. And this is the only way it can be done. And this is the only way that this is valuable. And what's, what's powerful about that is, uh, man, yeah, that, that hardware, physical location play right before 2020 pandemic hit really everyone's got to let go of everything that they they hold to be true um you know there's a lot of how many physical locations got wiped but that 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 willingness to let go of your belief ego it's it's a combination of both those areas right and it's not it's but you're so passionate in that area, this is a this is one of those biggest questions for CEOs. Is like you get this you get this situation right, and you're like, how much advice should you take from people, and how much should you lean on your own vision, right? Mm -hmm. Because because there's some people that they'll never take anyone's advice, and they'll just no feedback, and they're gonna just get burnt. They're just gonna uh, be unaware of the situation, and then until they go into the ground, and then they'll blame the world, and then they'll quit, and then they'll go do something that doesn't involve 
their opinions. The other way is taking only the other people's opinions, right? And never having your own voice and never finding your own thing. No, 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 that stuff. Then you kind of lose a bit of the magic that you bring to this experience. So I love the fact that you begrudgingly took a step in the direction you needed to go because then all of a sudden I feel like that would expand what you believe you, you, that you don't have to have all the answers, right? You don't need to be the one. Yeah. And the step further from that and where I, you know, I just had a, a mentor advisor say today, uh, I guess remind or it, I, it was, it was great because no one had said this to me quite this way yet, but he was like, Carrie, I mean, really your job is not to do anything. <laughs> That's interesting. That sounds, that sounds like relaxing and tricky. Um, but, but I mean, he's, you know, so, and, and the other, the other person, one of my co-executives, um, my C CTO um, was one of the first to flag when he, he started working with me last early last year. And he said like, you got to choose because if you're going to be COE chief of everything or CEO, because you're going to be COE, fine, but like you're not going to scale up. If you want to be a CEO, you got to figure out how to let, like, you got to let go. And, um, and then, then my, that's like, my job is to have amazing minds on my team that own and build and bring their own vision and expertise to what they, they are doing on the team. Um, and I'm here to just like remove blockers and let their creativity and knowledge be uh, become unleashed and then like feed that back through to make sure it's like the broadest vision we're like capturing their knowledge and like our customers knowledge uh, when they do things that surprise us like stream through Zoom or come up with crazy use cases for using embodied labs in ways we wouldn't have imagined. Like all of that has to float and filter back up to be recycled back through this, like do nothing and enable, enable and empower um, all the people smarter than me to go and build, uh, go and like fail, you know, mm. like really fail. That's interesting. Cause you're looking at it from this perspective of you're, you're raising this baby you know, this baby business, right? And now it's six years old and you're just going to try to let it walk to school on its own, right? You're like, okay, go be free, baby business. And yeah. your job is that you want to, you want to keep it close. You want to protect it. You want to, you want to be that helicopter parent floating around the edges and making sure they doesn't do anything wrong, right? Yeah. But you got to let it fail. You got to let it go out there. And um, you said something about like wacky use cases. Is it what, um, besides the Zoom, what other wacky use cases came to mind for yourself where it may be unintuitive and maybe it succeeded, maybe it didn't succeed. Um, but that's part of letting, letting your child uh, struggle and fall. But is there, can you speak to any specific examples of that? Yeah, I think early on um, one example is we had a, a customer comfort keepers in the home care space and they had um, a lot of their Brand, like some of their kind of um, corporate owned branches set up with embodied labs. And I discovered uh, that th one of them had created a whole website like of embodied labs 
and like a sign up for their family members, like the people in the community who might have a parent that needs home care service. They mm -hmm. had like the ability for them to sign up and come in and go through a demo, like go through an immersive experience and then debrief it with one of their staff. So it was kind of a relationship builder and, and I guess sales tool for them. But to that point, we had just squarely thought of ourselves as training. I mean, we actually started out thinking we were an ed tech company. We were like won the ed sim top five in 20, 2017 and thought like 50K was this earth shattering amount of capital that, you know, clearly meant, which we did move to Los Angeles and like rent a house for all of us to live and work out of um, until that ran out. And we realized like that that was only so much runway, but it, we were we went from ed tech to saying like, okay, healthcare staff training. Um, but that that web, the fact that a customer would take the time to build a, like a whole um, embodied labs uh, and Comfort Cubers co-branded website to do things that we hadn't thought about um, showed us there's something there. And then the video, they actually shared videos of the sessions they had with some people. And um, it was just, it was powerful to hear like, you know, some people were like in tears talking about what they were going through with their parent and like the exchange of like, you know, how that became a, a way to really connect like care and service and on a real person level. Um, mm -hmm. It, I guess it, I kind of probably had some counter transference because I was a family member activating home care services at one point. And um, it felt to me like this, like aha moment of, of like, well, one, like, let's, can we do more of this? And, and then two, like, did this close a gap faster for that son to like figure out how to get what he needed and like maybe what his mom needed because of the relationship that was built through this, this bridge of immersive, shared immersive experience. Mm. So, uh, so, it was, so it was, a. am trying to wrap my head around it. It was like a, so your um, client people made a co-branded, hey, Embody Labs is this awesome thing. And it kind of said, here's the awesome stuff that we're doing together. Come check it out. And they kind of sent people to the, the website so they could learn about like why your services are awesome and how they could use it for their own family. Is that kind of the use case of it? And and that was kind of like a quick way versus trying to do this like one-on-one -on -one conversation explainer. It was like, hey, just go to the website, check this out. Is that, is that what they kind of did? Cause they're trying to explain the point better. They just, yeah, they made their own landing page and then it was like walk a mile in their shoes. Like, you know, their interp it was like fun to see their interpretation of like That's what cool. we do in their words. And then, um, yeah. And then created a way for people to sign up and come on, come in and it was pre pandemic. So oh, just, yeah. you know, those yeah. days. Yeah, yeah, the pre yeah, a whole a whole different world, and and so you got to there's there's different mountaintops as you're climbing this journey as an entrepreneur, right? One mountaintop is that Silicon Valley dream of win the win the cash money, move into a house, you know, uh, have the shared pizza nights and the late night coding sessions and all the other things to to, to climb that mountaintop, right? So that was sound like. Are you still in LA? Are you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, awesome. I'm not, I'm not too far from you then. Um, that's great. Uh, and so, uh, Orange County based, uh, Got which, it. but for anybody else that, you know, technically, uh, for us, we, we do live close, but people in LA don't always go down to Orange County. There's like a big time warp gap there, but you know, we'll, 
that's more of like a Very different, yeah. <laughs> but I do want to talk to somebody though. Is so that was the mountain club. You hit that mountaintop. Yeah, you're with all your your um your co-founders and you're able to do it. What was the for you, what was going up to the next mountaintop peak? You know, what is those what are the peaks that you're climbing? Um, yeah, well, there were there were a few. One of the things that really what changed our trajectory was when we won the Bill and Melinda Gates XR. It was like the global XR prize challenge. And I had, I think my other failure that I would not like push people through is like, don't think you need to do a million pitch competitions or small grant or like, just, just like try to go for financing faster. <sighs> that said, there is a real, the gap is, real um so i don't know can't uh, we can leave back well, to that are you, yeah, yeah was it is your advice that you're saying there because you're saying don't uh, i feel like i got cross information that maybe you could help yeah. clarify for me i know you're saying don't pitch a billion times but go for financing faster is there is, what do you can you kind of kind of break down what you mean by that i think i think social networks are so important and if if you're not a founder that's coming in with venture venture in your social networks already try to build social capital faster towards venture networks um i didn't do that i i like i did a lot of pitch competitions where it would be like the aarp sponsoring caregiving innovation challenge and i thought surely if i win this then we will qualify for you know then we will put this on the pitch for the venture capitalists and we'll get the funding um and and you know we and we did win that we won half a million in non-dilutive capital so like i can't say that wasn't a bad thing but the uh i would say my lifespan is shortened in in general by this job and definitely by how many pitch competitions i did um and so if there's ways to get bigger tranches of capital like you've got a big idea you know, you're thinking big, you got to also think big for capital so that your, your foundation to build a giant, like, you know, marketplace shattering business is built on this foundation that has building blocks that look like that foundation versus like, you're, you've got the big thing. And then um, your building blocks starts with smaller tranches of capital and then you're kind of catching up from there um so try to align like how big you're thinking with um getting more investors on board with bigger checks faster and if you have to do that by like hijack growth hacking your social capital um, do that intentionally with like finding entry points into vc networks mm. Got it. So to break down what you said, because some people may not understand a bit of what you're talking about. Um, and it's gonna, I want to just kind of unpack a bit of it is what you're saying, like, you know, having a solid network of, of uh, venture capitalists, right, or investors for some people is you want to kind of build that social network with them. And you want to get that establishment with them. So build a relationship with it, invest with them early investing being uh, check in with them talk to them have conversations with them let them know where you're at let them know where you're going talk about the big visions give them updates mm -hmm. constantly check in with them again and again and again and they continue to to fo not focus on the one-off pitches where you could possibly win a half a million or whatever the things might be instead of doing this one-off pitch disappear one-off pitch disappear mm -hmm. you're actually now saying i'm going to build a network of venture capitalists and let them know where i'm at and then constantly build that social capital i.e. Uh, coffee dates, 
uh, pre COVID. I, man, I love coffee dates. I missed the coffee. I had my coffee date, uh, my first coffee date after the pandemic. And it was amazing. Uh, but that's a lot of startups are those coffee dates, those meetings, those, those outings. So, so you're saying build those actual, th those things, those people networks that you're building of, of investors or VCs are way more important than trying to do these one-off prep pitches where you're just going to try to win this prize because those other people will be more around and they can be more investable and they'll get more into it. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Like, okay. and like, be like, friend, these are also people. They're not like magical, um, <laughs> like glittery, ethereal, ethereal, like, People, they're like humans that also do human things so just like be friends with them and and or like you know connect as colleagues and yeah. like um don't just send them like investor updates about your like three top kpis maybe connect on like music or or art or whatever your interests are and um know that like it takes a couple years like for both sides you want some time to relationship build Cause like a cap table is a really serious thing to um, have someone like sign, have both people involved with. So before someone has stake in your company, like, you know, see if you like the same bands or like, if that's a not a deal breaker, good, keep on moving. Um, and, and then I think the, um, the, like, there's just sometimes a really easy way to get distracted by headlines. Um, whether it's a headline about, uh, this is my favorite one for myself. Somebody closes whatever round of financing and it's like their series A and then it's like, oh, a year later, their series B. And like, I'm over here just like, what, what have I been doing? Like, oh, like they've closed this. And the, like, I'm a, you know, I'm a failure, you know, and then like, I don't, what is that? Everybody. Um, but like, don't compare. And then like, We've been, we've had times where we've been in like Oprah came inbound and New York Times inbound what? and CNN. Yeah, they sound great and they are, yeah. and I'm not going to downplay it. But you to, wait, wait, you talked to Oprah? I just want to make sure I heard that correctly. Is that, is that what's going on? I was in Oprah Magazine on like a, I had a one page feature. That's cool. Physical magazine. I know I'm I not got, supposed to oogle on that, but that is cool. That is cool. It, my grandma, like she was into it. <laughs> <laughs> like the the newspaper, like the physical yeah. paper. Um, I was like, I was like in an article and they took my picture even. I thought that was kind of cool. I like just had COVID and, and they came out to like Jeez. photograph me. I was like past the contagious part. It was like 2020. We're all worried about it. Um, but I, I, anyways, like had this picture of me and then there was a picture of like Donald Trump because it was August, 2020. Then there was a picture of like Epstein and I was just like, all right. We're like this is prime real estate, you know. Wow, that's so cool. So, so, so for but, them. But my point there is, yeah, yeah. it doesn't matter. Like that yeah. does not equate business. Like you, you've got to separate out what matters and um, not like, get distracted by headlines, even your own headlines. And well, like as a well, CEO, then what matters? Let me let me ask you that. Yeah. Then what matters? Because you're talking about these vanity metrics, which are cool and they're fun to think about. What what yeah. what does matter? It it as the CEO who's financing a earth shattering, massive idea with you know the biggest thinkable total addressable market. It's uh, that you have people writing you checks that support the foundation to build that, and you have the relationships with those people that take 
a, a, you know, a, at least a year, if not two or more to build. So it's mm -hmm. checks, uh, checks that give you the time and money and ability to take your vision and your failures and humanness and grow that massive thing or like just really epically fail and have you know green hamsters or whatever it is <laughs> and we were all playing the same, that game the whole forever, time forever the green hamsters are going to be stuck in my mind uh what it's okay so if that's the if that if for the, the thing is the advice you got was think bigger right and that's the big focus for you what is your holy grail what is your personal big vision that you have for embodied labs oh man i'm so excited about like like i know it's controversial if mark zuckerberg were to listen to this podcast i've been wanting to just tell him thank you for changing his company to meta i know it might have been a little distractor from whatever else like it's i don't care what the reasons were I am so glad that Facebook is called Meta and that we're allowed to say Metaverse. And I know there's a time and place for it because, you know, it's buzzword still and no one wants a buzzword when they don't want a buzzword. Um, but like Metaverse is real. It always has been. And like, thanks to Mr. Z, we can talk about it freely. <sighs> and like with everything else going on in the world, post pandemic, war, stock market it's like at least at least we can we know metaverse is coming and it's real yeah. um so and that doesn't mean awkward bricks on your face and it doesn't mean um everything magically was not a contact lens um in your eye and it means everything that's coming out that is creating an ecosystem that's like just beyond our fingertips kind of already here for like how the toolbox of immersive is ripe so that we can now for embodied labs create an ecosystem of, of embodied experiences and we're going to now do the matrix thing like instead of books on a shelf we've mm -hmm. got immersive experiences in little chunks and we can accelerate and create lived experience and memories around like anything we want so that we can like truncate time spent you know, like the end of the movie when like everything explodes, like we can live the end of the movie, it can explode, but we can do that early and maybe like decide if we really want it to end that way. Um, mm. We can embody our future uh, health, we can embody things that we won't go through so that we can understand and like adapt and be more efficient. Um, and ultimately, like if we can all embody like the most common things that impact us um we can uh see that like as a population we'll detect diseases faster and more accurately we'll see population behavior change like i don't want to get alzheimer's like if i know running and dieting and eating well now can like keep me from living that future sure i might be more likely to do it even just a little like that's life-changing um not to mention like all the the there's other things in immersive that i won't i'm not i can't go i will keep for later sure, um, sure. but thinking about like virtual humans and our ability to take like the digital the digital space and like literally um design and create knowledge bases of humans that are virtual but have identities and voice and can like help us cope and connect and 
create community. Um, that's all part of where I think we have we have room for like more human experiences uh, than just being humans ourselves physically here today mm. on the planet. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a big change. I mean, it went it went you know from the back burner to the front when I, when Mark Zuckerberg said, "Hey, we're called Meta," and that just all of a sudden everyone goes, "What's Meta?" And something that like you've been like, "Hey, we've been doing it for a while. It's called this. Let me walk you through it." So if now I'm just going to speak to the so if the holy grail for you in in somewhat of a way is creating this embodied metaverse platform, right? And it's what it sounds like. Uh, the takeaway and there's all these bells and whistles and secret sauce that you got cooking up in the background is great. What do you think is the dragon? What is the big thing preventing you from your holy grail goal? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I think time that might be short sighted, but it's like, I just always feel like every day I wake up, and I'm like excited, but then if there's like this gushing, like pipe of water coming out metaphorically, there's like so much. And like, how, how do I decide like which drops of water I can pull from here to like really harness the, you know, if I'm be, like gonna be healthy about my work-life balance. So like eight to maybe 10 hours I can spend working and then like the time I need to process like so I think it's it's time and choice of what to say no to um and like how to really commit to to like actually failing mm. uh and like that's gotta be because you can only, if you can only pick like one or two or three drops of water like from a whole gushing pipe you're probably going to get it wrong. <laughs> so yeah. So then it's like, there's an overwhelming thing of opportunities. What do you pick? How do you choose? And then ultimately, how do you keep that work-life balance so that you don't try to just drink the entire pipe, you know, put your mouth on the pipe and try to drink the whole thing. Otherwise you're going to explode. So, you know, how do you pick what thing to drink? That makes a ton of sense. Um, yeah. And, you know, with all of that being said, you know, with uh, talking about everything, um, is there anything else you'd like to let people know about before you tell them how to get a hold of you, we are uh, launching a a couple of cohorts called the mm -hmm. Wayfinders uh, Family Caregiver Programs, and they are learning journeys for family members that have loved ones that live with dementia, either at home with them or in a care community or are related to them. So I would say be on the lookout for our signups because we're doing several of these over the coming uh, months and are making them open to anyone who uh, has has a loved one that's living with dementia. Um, so that's my plug for a learning journey that's near and dear to my heart. Um, yeah. And that's all for now. Love it. And if people want to find these learning journeys or if people want to get a hold of you for the to the work that you know for your immersive platform how do they do that yeah so um there's a few ways we're on linkedin we're on uh twitter and it's you know instagram all social 
I look at LinkedIn and Twitter at, for our signups for these Wayfinders programs. Um, lots of good buzz when they're up for signing up. Um, we just have one that's like, I think, closing. So I think we're just on the cusp for what will come next. And then uh, our website is embodiedlabs.com. It's about to get like a whole facelift. Big seat, I think, you know, big reveal. Just yeah. told, told the future. Um, info at embodiedlabs.com is a great email to get our whole team. And then you get placed with whoever you need to be talking to. And then I'm Carrie at embodylabs.com if you want to get a hold of me. Um, and we are hiring a sales lead right now. So uh, for anyone listening who knows like the best salesperson who has scale up and digital health experience and wants to uh, think big and join the team with us, uh, email me or email the team. Beautiful. Carrie, thank you so much. I really appreciate you sharing your story and your journey with us. It's been my honor and privilege, and I will see you on the other side. Sounds good. Thanks so much for having me, Dylan. Absolutely, Carrie. Take care. Bye now. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.